0: Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts Online podcast, Disability And, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Joe Turnbull, Assistant Editor of Disability Arts Online, chats with Robert Softley-Gale, writer, actor, activist and artistic director of Bird of Paradise Theatre Company about disability and the mainstream. This podcast contains
1: strong language.
0: I'm here with actor, writer, activist and artistic director of Birds of Paradise, Robert (laughs) Softly-Gale. Welcome to the Disability And Podcast, Robert. How are you doing? Yeah,
1: good thing. Good. Good.
0: And um, basically today we're going to be talking about disability and the mainstream. Mm. I mean, mainstream is one of those terms that I feel like means something slightly different depending on what your position is to the mainstream. Completely. What, what what do you th- what do you mean by the mainstream when you're talking about the mainstream, do
1: you think? I mean, I think often the meaning of it has changed over the years. I mean, I've been working in arts and for, oh, 90 years. And I feel like what it meant back then is quite different to what it means now. I think back then it was a euphemistic way of saying the people who made good work they always spoke about making, about disability work becoming more mainstream, And what they meant was it being a little bit less crap, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and I think at some point we had to call that out and say, actually, that is what you mean, you know, let's just, let's say that. Whereas now I think it means something different. Now I think we recognise that, that what bigger people are just had something to say that non-disabled artists can't see. In mm. uh, that we we are something distinct, we are something outside of the mainstream. Mm. The problem with that is that every artist has seen something different, so yeah. you end up with so many different pockets that actually extra the mainstream with. Yeah, you know, it becomes so,
0: quite diffuse.
1: Yeah, completely. So, Yes, basically I hope we move away from it being a euphemistic way of seeing of customer quality. Because mm-hmm. quality is quality, whatever, whatever you are in relation to the mainstream, you know, you can be crap and still be part of the mainstream. You know, that's yeah, not the good in fact... <laughs> There's I plenty I of mainstream I crap. Actually, you're more crap than you're part of the mainstream. It's so, not... Yeah, I think all oh, of that doesn't really answer your question, but but no, no, it's, it's part of no, the. It's, issue. it's
0: interesting. I wonder if the the sort of push towards professionalisation was a little bit behind that as well. I feel like there was Completely. a big push in the last ten, fifteen years about professionalising in inverted commas. I think up. I
1: think also funding what properly. Like Queen Quail was only eight years ago, mm. and all of the amazing stuff that happened then—all of that money. And that investment that happened then was massive. And, and I, don't, I think we're still seeing the impact of that now. We're still seeing artists who were giving substantial investment and still benefiting from that now. So I think, yeah, that is a massive impact.
0: I mean, for me, when I think of the mainstream just as a concept... To me, it, it usually speaks of something about mass appeal or appealing to lots of people or even lowest common denominator, if you take that to its logical conclusion. Yeah. But um, when I looked up, I just out of interest, I looked up the definition of mainstream. Okay. I thought it was worth looking because yeah. that, that's just my conception in my head. Yeah, yeah. But it's quite interesting in a disability perspective because uh, the definition of mainstream is something that's generally con- considered normal in <laughs> commas or conventional. <laughs> Which her, I think I know but that is so interesting in a way. Yeah. If we think about yeah. disability arts, often um, defining itself in relation or opposition yeah. to the mainstream, that no wonder if the definition of mainstream is what's generally considered in an, in inverted <laughs> commas normal or conventional.
1: Because we're, we're never going to be that, that you know, and. and Fame magazine because she what to be no more conventional <laughs> you know, I, I, I haven't met one yet. It's not yeah, completely different. I think it's a really it's a really working camera as well because it can be used by fungals and and by people with power to judge but also to get separate people and could go, well, you're closer to the mainstream than you are. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you, therefore, we're making a value judgment about what you do. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that's something to be very wary of. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I also think, in terms of defining the mainstream, I, again, when I think about it, it's almost easier to think about what it's not yeah. than what it is. Yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, I th- and I think, like I say, I think that the, the idea that disabled artists will ever be part of the mainstream really sort of bothers me. I, I I think it's not something we aspire to. Mm. But, but I also, you know, when you talk about normal or, or perceived to be conventional, you know, I think back to things like the affirmative and moral disability, that, for go disability. It's normal. Mm, yeah, yeah. We're, we're all in society, unless we get hit the bus, are going to become disabled. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think, unless, uh, I th- well, I think that's quite what it's aggressive disabled people walk in yeah. this line between actually being the norm and being the scare the that we're all going to end up in at some point. But also rejecting them on so purposefully and so, in some cases so violently I want to say, but not, not violent, but there's a real, amongst the geographies that I know and work with and love, there's a real sort of, real rejection of this mainstream where we go, no, that's not who we are. Mm -hmm we're over here and this is who we are. Mm. Um, and I guess that's something as well, is that so much of our work, certainly my work comes from defending myself and saying, well, this is who I am, as a cable artist, as a man, etc, etc. And once you start defending yourself as an artist, how can you be part of the mainstream? Because, to give something definition is to shape it as, as what it is mm-hmm. rather than getting rather, rather than anything on. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Have you had any first hand brushes with the mainstream? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Have you ever had any s- experiences oh, yeah. where you feel like, oh, I'm in I'm in a mainstream context here. This feels <laughs> this feels weird, or maybe not? Yeah,
1: I mean, most mm. recently, my boyfriend the show that we did, the Fringe and Quirky, with the National Theatre Scotland, and it wasn't actually a big musical, singing dancing, it was a very mainstream piece of theatre mm. with packed out to it. Like, 400 people every night were all loving songs about plastic. you know, so, yeah. so it was, a, for me, that was a joyous thing of a very mainstream form, but then subverting it in ways that people were not expecting. And from that, we were getting awards and, and going to ceremonies and stuff, and very much became part of the mainstream establishment with that show. And that wasn't weird. It was a weird experience because in a way you realize that we're all, we're all pretending to be part of something. We're all pretending that we, don't know we're doing what we're doing, but we're also pretending that we're part of this mainstream establishment. But actually you just got a bunch of artists and producers and other people. Cranky make work and cranky get on with it, mm. and that's all we are.
0: Quite interesting that you describe my left foot as quite a um, my left right foot, sorry, <laughs> as quite a mainstream show yeah. in some ways. That it's like a traditional musical, and purposeless movements is probably not yeah. a, a particularly mainstream show in its content. And yet, that's the piece that was on the main stage. You know, there was an yeah. the international festival yeah. and sold yeah. out every night. As I know that you're saying, my left Right foot it was also yeah. sold out. But in, in a way, Edinburgh International Festival feels yeah, a bit yeah. like oh, yeah. in theatre terms it's like
1: that's yeah. quite
0: a mainstream setting, but it's not necessarily a mainstream well, show, I don't
1: well think, is it? Yeah, completely yeah, yeah, can you know, you can't get much more establishment, can you than <laughs> the, the Edinburgh International Festival. But I guess the the form of that piece was still quite still quite distinct from what people were expecting. Um and that, that is one of the reasons that I wouldn't declare that as being as mainstream. But again, you know, we're talking about greedy some mainstreamness. And that all becomes a bit weird as well, you know. Mm-hmm. What can I mean by that? I probably mean that my record is more massive, appeal for its purpose like and account against movement theater piece. Mm-hmm has a little bit less massive, you, mm. but was still pretty, pretty much part of the establishment. Mm.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you think either of those pieces were made with more mainstream audiences in mind when you, when you conceived them?
1: Definitely, my last was always because it was made for for Boston Park cranky fifth anniversary year. So we very much to make it as a piece that had to have. Quite a big impact on the, on the, the set going on, on Scottish speaker. So, a musical became a very obvious thing to, mm-hmm. to go for. I'm also, you know, a long time fan of musicals and I sort of keep that quiet because people, because <laughs> it's, be cool. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not cool. It's not cool. It's a bit too cool, mainstream, you know. I guess you can make it, if you can you like musical go, mm, you are know, not, <laughs> you're not really a seeker are you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept that big quiet for quite a while. But when it came to making a piece for a twenty fifth year co-production with the National secret in Scotland, it had to be a big, a think of mass appeal from there so a musical beginning of your yet,
0: although I haven't seen that piece from what I gather about it though even though maybe it's a slightly more mainstream presentation it seems like there's quite a lot of in-jokes that are ready for the disability community in there
1: yeah and so uh, you're
0: subverting it in that way a little bit
1: and also the in-jokes are almost exclusively jokes about non-disabled people and that's what I think a lot of people don't always get about my work it. That, that, yes, I'm taking the piss, but I'm taking the piss. I'm either of myself or of non-disabled people, because they're right, could they're taking a the piss at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, again, I, guess I think taking a form and taking a, a structure and a a format that people are very familiar with. And then so working it, so they get something that they're not expecting at all. It's what we try to keep good. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's interesting. Do you think? Do you think there's a tendency? I, I don't know. We go. I go to a lot of conferences and talking shops uh, aimed at the disability arts sector, or certainly with a good representation of that. And it does almost feel like there's something of an obsession with this idea of the mainstream do you think yeah do you think we're a bit obsessed with the mainstream in the disability arts world yeah
1: i think i think we are still you know i think a lot of it goes through periods of maturity and of becoming more mature more established but but not necessarily more mainstream but i think part of that is about comparing yourself to the others to the to the establishment to the mainstream. And I think that this work out us school. still. I think we're, we're beginning to come out of that phase. of what we are. But I think we're, we're we're still quite obsessed with how we position ourselves in relation to this mainstream audience mm-hmm. and, and what, what we can give to them and, and what they want from us. And and all of those questions. Well, they're all great questions and asked. And if you can make it, I'm always asking the questions of what my audience wants. But it's a, like, Yeah, I think that comes to a point where you have to go, bugger it, you know, they're going to get what they're going to get. Do you think...
0: Does, I get a sense that some of the, the younger generation of disabled artists coming through are actually slightly more Obsessed with this idea of the mainstream, because it seems like a lot of them aren't as connected to the to the to the rights movement that's come before, mm-hmm. and a lot of them aren't actually versed in the social model and things. Uh, and so, all that they've seen, you know, the, the <laughs> culture that they consume is they kind of come from a context of consuming mainstream culture and engaging with mainstream culture. Um, and they, it, it seems like a lot of the younger artists coming through um, are kind of maybe more obsessed with this wanting to make it in the mainstream world, yeah. whereas those, those who've kind of been through that longer journey are a bit more like, well, fuck the mainstream, yeah. two fingers to it, sort of, yeah.
1: we don't need come, it. Yeah, Oh, God. Does that mean I'm part of the old generation, though? There's not, <laughs> not necessarily an old
0: guard or whether it's the vanguard, I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, that's a sad reality that I'm having to do with, but, <laughs> uh, I very quickly went from the young face to the, to the old vanguard. Um, but absolutely, I think younger people know that that have been in mainstream education, so they're growing up around non-disabled peers, and that's fantastic. That's, you know, what we were all fighting for for decades, mm. so it's great. But I think I think that there is definitely less of a disability identity amongst those young people. I'm doing a bit of work just here making it more for... Seven crypto, and part of that is asking you know, who's going to be a young disabled person in 2020 because i you know I come 40 this year, so I'm you not a young disabled person anymore and the problem I found with asking that question is that they do not always see themselves as disabled people mm-hmm. and that's a really. For me, I think an older disabled person, that's a difficult thing to unpick and to go, oh, what does that mean? You know, it's not a good thing or is that a bad thing? Or you know, it's a bit both. of both? Mm. You know, but I think the different things sense of, of young disabled people because they've been part of that mission from bus Why do they now want to mm. not be? Yeah. You on the board. that the there's always been pilot why different can't get that could mm. could go out with againie yeah,
0: but it definitely sort of gives us a an insight into what we would lose if you don't have spaces that are disability specific and and places where the disability community can come together, and if we're all mainstream or it becomes so integrated that you don't have that. Idea, then you definitely lose something as well. So of course, you know, inclusion yeah. and integration and things like that, they have their upsides, but they definitely
1: mm. have their downsides, yeah. right? Completely. But it's not either or. No. You know, and we need to go into that. The worry is that one becomes easier or cheaper to have than the other, so you end up with an either or but I think as long as we hold on to our spaces as well. But I also as understand that and thinking, well, these things grow and develop organically. Mm-hmm. We haven't got a lot of control over how we all gather and you know. So if we if we do start to lose our disability spaces, then either people will... Recognize that and fight to keep them or they won't and they'll go you know they're sort of not like, you know for like to believe that we've we'll got control over everything we haven't really we sort of have to go with the flow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, so it's not, yeah
0: and in terms of listening and then listening to those young voices like like in through projects that you're talking about yeah. there and you know we have to reconfigure for each each generation kind of needs yeah. to make its own way and for its
1: own yeah. path, doesn't it? I and also, you know, because in making this piece I'm making for young people, I can only write from my perspective, but I, but I can also recognise that that's different from their perspective, so I can, I can help to give them a bit of a voice and start to reflect on, on how things. Um. But yeah. You, know, I am a 30-year-old disabled guy. Right? That's all I can really speak about. Mm. But, but there's quite a lot to that that I can speak about. You know? so, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think is there any sort of mainstream organisations, initiatives, or things that you think are doing good work either with disabled people or around inclusion? I'm thinking Liz Carr on Silent Witness is quite a good example
1: of completely. <laughs> And I mean, um, TV has made a massive step forward in the last five to seven years. We've seen, you know, every soap that has or has had a regular musical character. That's pretty big, you know. When I started that, it like a, a, a big dream. So, so we have had big step forward. And yes, we have to watch that that doesn't get back that we got thing, You know, I know that Les is about to leave town with us, you know. So, where's our next role model? And sort of got TV who's disabled me to keep poking away at that. But I think we're now in a less perilous position. Before, it was one or two people that were holding it up for the whole disabled community. Now that there's more, you know, we can relax a little bit and go, well, they're there, we're, we're visible. And I think if tomorrow all disabled characters disappear from sculpts and from TV, people would go, wait a minute, that's a bit weird. Whereas ten years ago, they weren't there, mm. and that wasn't weird, so, yeah. so I think in that way we won a bit of an argument, I hope we have anyway, you know, and um, so yeah, yeah, I think okay get we move forward, but we just to keep talking away and keep having that conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we think of sort of the most, I try and think of the most mainstream uh, institutions or mainstream things that, Things like Hollywood and the Oscars obviously yeah. spring to mind, and year after year, the Oscars has this big diversity conversation, <gasps> and disability is always left out of yeah, that yeah, diversity yeah. conversation. Completely. Which it certainly feels like we've, there's a big Rubicon to cross there. Yeah, Um you yeah. Know, we're still not seeing that. We're still not. We're still not at that very top mainstream table.
1: Completely. And that's where I show it in my life, right? it felt appropriate because it was commenting on a film that happened over 30 years ago where a guy was tripping up. And we'll still get that now, you know, we haven't moved beyond non-gasteful characters playing gasteful characters in Hollywood. One of the things that I always try to focus on is it's about the story that we're telling. And and the reason that I make work is because the stories of disabled people haven't been called nearly enough so they're not part of our culture nearly enough yet. And if, you know, if you're if you making gross stages, if Hollywood or TV were killing these stories then I could go back to bed and, and have a rest, but, but they're not all women, they are. They're doing it from a very non-disabled perspective. And that makes me go, well, you know, what what rate have they got to try to hijack my story and use it to their own ends know, My left foot is the one I can speak about for years and years and go, well, at some level, that was a story about Christy Brown, a guy we shared poke hitting islands in the 30s and 40s. They get hijacked by Gang on the Because whenever you talk about My Way Foot, you talk about Gang on the you couldn't talk about Christy Brown. So, and that's the bit that hurts me because it was his story, it wasn't Gang on the And we always talk about great acting being about being invisible, about, you know, the character becoming invisible and the actor somehow disappears. Now, you can debate whether that's real, but when it comes to non-disabled actors playing disabled characters, they're never trying to be invincible. They're trying the opposite. They're trying to be recognised for how skillful they are uh, uh, imitating, you know, a cerebral palsy voice or movements or whatever. So... Yeah, that's not acting. <laughs> it
0: It feels even more problematic when it's... I mean, it's problematic enough, but when it's based on, as you say, a, a real person and a real-life story, it feels yeah. something even more problematic yeah, about
1: totally, that. Yeah, totally. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so, looking at this, makes mean, some argument about film and Hollywood and, and going, oh, no, you know, like, tripping up just has to stop. We just... You know, there's, there's no there's no validations for it. Yes, acting is acting. And you always get the argument of, you know, but, but, you know...
0: Well, so should a murderer
1: play a murderer? Like, yeah, nonsense, yeah, yeah. And you're like, no, there's us a difference here because we don't see men playing women unless there's a reason for that. We don't see white people playing white people. So somehow we recognise that gender and race are something that you can't just imitate the other mm-hmm. and and somehow that's fine. Yeah. But we go see disability in that same category. Yeah. We still see disability as this sort of adding agon- this angle. That that we see disability as not being able to do something. So so if a if i non disabled person can pretend that they can't do that thing, and they're disabled. Now we, sort of all your listeners know that disability is a cultural experience, it's a work experience, etc, etc, but we still haven't quite got that over to the mainstream.
0: I mean it is definitely based on, on a medical model of disability, because it's true also that obviously it happens all the time, a non-disabled person acquires an impairment, so, yeah. so an actor can say well I might acquire that impairment but you, you don't understand the, it doesn't mean you ex- have the experience of disability as a Completely. social construct
1: and Completely. as an experience of barriers and, and also you know, that experience of acquiring an impairment is something that I've never experienced so yes you can look at that as an acting perspective and go well what would that be like but it's a good thing to be kill mm-hmm. Again, these are all parts of the, the disability narrative and parts of the stories that we need to be telling people so that the so that their understanding of disability becomes more nuanced and more complex and more interesting rather than the victim and the poor the, the little cripple in the corner. If we can get to a point where a culture has thousands of stories of disabled people that are all different and, and contradictory and, and interesting, then then we can talk kind of more interesting conversations about whose story it is kill.
0: Do you think that's the best way we can challenge and change the mainstream, just by telling more disabled stories? It's
1: all I know what to do. <laughs> it's like and someone said to me a few years ago, but like you think it, it works no matter what. If it doesn't, I'm fucked. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's all I know how to do. And I think, I think, the, I also think there's no one way to do this. I think for some people it's about getting angry and protesting and, and yelling at people. And I absolutely respect that. That's not really my way of doing it. My wings much more, much softer and much more about trying to engage people. And one or the other are right or wrong. We have to come at this from a whole variety of angles. And overcome overcame. we will get there. We are getting there. We have to believe that we are getting there. It can sometimes be harder.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too right <laughs> um, do you think there's a danger that being in that mainstream position actually can changes
1: them rather than them changing the mainstream I think that can happen and that does happen but I think that again I would. I think we, we think we'll get more control over this than we actually have you know disabled people are such a, a wide variety of people and we're all coming at this from different angles, and if if your angle is to be a, a fairly mainstream politician who doesn't really wave the disability flag and just gets on with it, then that's still, still a valid way to do it, you know. But equally, anyway, i still got a right to say, oh, you know, that you should be doing more. You know, we all we all have to do what we do, we all can stand up to the scrutiny that we stand up to. You know, I'm not saying that we can't recognise people for for what they do, and if people do become so mean that they, they almost forget the disability roots, then I think we'll absolutely get a right to call that out and to question it. But we can't control that, you know, it's going to happen
0: yeah i mean i suppose what i'm saying by that as well is i'm not i'm not saying because i don't think it's fair that just because you're a salesperson person in any position that you have to at all times fly the disability yeah. flag or yeah. or be politically engaged all the time or fight for that community and be an expert and all those things because it's an unfair expectation yeah, completely. and it's exhausting completely um, but also i think i think it's a bit like liberal feminism, it, the, the the approach to it is just add more women and stir, it, like put more women in positions of power, and that will change things. And I think actually there's so much more to it than that. I don't yeah. think if we just put disabled people in top positions or represent them on stages that will change <coughs> everything. I think there's I think there's a whole other no. undertone that needs to be
1: tackled. There's an absolute cultural change that needs to happen. Absolutely, but but all these things are part of that cultural change. Yeah. They're not a real angle, yep. but they are part of living at fault. They're part of normal acting disability. To go back to your definition of mainstream, you know, the idea of, of the norm. Well, there is, there is something to be said for... If we walk around and we can see one in five people being actively disabled, then we would see disability in a different way. We'd know that it's not some other experience. It's everywhere. It's ours, it's our family, it's our friends, etc. So visibility is that really important it part of the place. But it's not the real and angle. You know, it's not visibility at any cost. It's not about assimilation. Because that isn't actually visibility, or or it's not it's not real visibility. So yeah, it's like there's no there's no one answer to this. We we have to be okay with that. You yeah. Know. yeah, I think
0: I think a lot of these initiatives where they fall flat is it, they, they place disabled people in mainstream positions, and that's good. But if the culture of that place is yeah. set up in an ableist way, then they You know, it's impossible to expect that that will it will change it completely. by just putting them there.
1: Completely, it's, it's but in you know, we can get all individual, and then that, that individual moves on, and nothing actually changes yeah. or completely. Uh, you know, yeah. It's, uh, but we're playing a very long game here. This is not happening quickly. I mean. See, I started as an actor in what's that, so 18 years ago now. The change in the last 18 years can be huge. You know, we can't underestimate how far we'll come in those 18 years. We've still got a fucking long way to go. <laughs> you know, and both of those things can be true at the same time. Yeah, and that's okay. We need to live from nuance. We need to live for a bit of complexity in this and for contradiction.
0: Just a f- bit of a fun one. Um, what's your biggest mainstream guilty pleasure?
1: <laughs> <coughs> uh, what is my like, mainstream guilty pleasure? Hmm. Probably something like Great Britain's we're coming to bland American getting it, but you just kind of love how, how massive you I get my my uncle lives in America, but he, he grew up in England and he loves it because nobody uh, argues, looky thinks like no, it's just so bland, but you have to look for that. And I think, yeah, I, I think we all need to start embracing it makes you guilty a bit more because, I think it's not, the mainstream is not evil, it's not, it's not the enemy. And and maybe if we start to, to see that we're not in opposition to it, then we'll be okay. But we're also not, you know, almost by it in opposition, we're holding it up in a pedestal, it's a thing that we, we aspire to. And I think that the more mature we get, and people are, the less that that becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. That we go, it's great, and it's there, and it's all fun and stuff. And, and when we can do that, we can we can get our crew into that point. But it's not the wrong angle. I'd be like, that I'm kissing your from crest <laughs> and make it better, very <laughs> <philosophical>. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah.
0: And so yes. if Gravikov come, if
1: Gravikov
0: come calling, will you, uh, will you be up for presenting? <laughs>
1: Absolutely. <again? laughs> um, yeah, me and uh, young Hollywood, get on a young on girl. I hope fire. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, in fact, no, me and Kangy, hot I think, could be quite a funny combination. Do you think you'd spice it up a bit? I would give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, there be a lot, I mean, there's already quite a lot of it in but I think I could get a bit more it in your Because I've got the great banking of, of I can, I can make a joke and people can go, was that a cocktail Or did we just not understand his speech? Speak. We'll I get that, that game that I can play. So they
0: wouldn't have to bleep it
1: out. <laughs> exactly, you can see, You know, the BBC can go, oh, no, I'm going can go, oh, we didn't know it was a cocktail so, And And then anyone who complains becomes disabled somewhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's an ironclad I go? tactic, go? <laughs> <It's> bulletproof, <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely. Anything else you want to say on the mainstream? Else. A good thing. Anything
1: else? A good thing. I mean, I think, I, I think we're we're gonna keep that, this not for a long time, and that's fine. I know that the people who see the work that I make and go, oh, you're just a bit cool, you're a bit cool. But then I also know that that's me, simple, to see what I can go, Who the hell are you and what are you doing? So, it can forget that I'm always going to be interested in, but I also try to ignore and forget.
0: It's always a bit of a tightrope to.
1: Yeah. And I know
0: that a lot of the sale artists who kind of get to a certain level in their careers as well often feel that they have these two careers. They have a mainstream career and a. Yep. And a disability arts career, yep. and they have to yep. play two dis- to two, two, two different sides, and they <laughs> might make work that's more geared towards one, and then and then they feel like they've got to go back to their roots. And I think, I think
1: if if you can manage it, you know, I try to manage it where the work that I make can <laughs> something to non-disabled people that they... That they're surprised by and and they go, wow, I've never thought of that before. But also, think something to disabled people that they recognize, that they feel represented by, that they feel that they recognize themselves in that story. And if you can do those two things at the same time, then hopefully you can speak to both parties. Because the thing the disabled people are bringing the non disabled parents with them, or the non disabled parents. So these two groups do not come up separately. They come up together and they want to enjoy the same stuff together for different reasons. Mm. So you can make work that speaks to, or speaks to as many people as you can while still being authentic.
0: Without yeah that's just me when you said that that's just making me think of like uh, Disney Pixar films that are always for two audiences right Yeah, They're for the parents yeah. There's yeah. things that are there for yeah. parents and there's things that are there for kids yeah. and and it's there's there's definitely elements that that speak to both and there's definitely elements yeah. that do you yeah, a bit one or the other. they speak to one or the other yeah and so it's like yeah that's really interesting and to I think, think you of that. can do so that you can definitely tread yeah. that line
1: you can do that in Glasgow it as well yeah, it's tough, because they are two different groups, but, but also they're not, you know, that, that... The, the cable people can only laugh at the cable jokes, yeah. you, you know, I know that's obvious, but I'm quite that, you know, we, we we also, we also work because, you know, so, so, yeah.
0: But it's fun to throw in a few in-jokes. Though. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> But in doing that, you're also letting non-disabled people in on something that they can didn't oh know. Mm-hmm. So if, you do, if you do in-jokes in a way that excludes people, that's not fair, and it, and it doesn't really help. You know, we all laugh, but actually, it doesn't really help. There's a time and a place for, for those sorts of in-jokes. I remember it the first I Unlimited, and we had all the of and stuff. And there's a lot of that 'cause we're family in South bank center we're all going, Yeah <coughs> fuck <for> you <laughs> um, but if we get more mature, we yeah, we need all the the angels just exclude people mm. and, and that's we're we're fitting against that, you know. But but if you do angels in a certain way, you can make it that everyone's laughing together. And then we can move forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if and if the mainstream is just mass appeal, then, and as you say, if one in five people is disabled and many more will experience disability in some way, I think almost one in three apparently experience mental health in their lifetime, yeah. then in a way, it's it, if it's just about mass appeal, then even just that audience is yeah. a huge mass appeal. Yeah. It's a huge audience really. even just for really. those people, even if you're not making it for really. a non-disabled audience. Like, yeah. Actually...
1: Completely. And also, the company thing things where, yes, you're always thinking about the ergains and people that say they're not thinking about the organ, are talking crap. if you don't want to think about the ergains, go home and get in your bedroom, you know, that's great. You are thinking about the ergains, but you're also telling a story that has to be, has to be a bit of truth, a bit of authenticity and all of that stuff, and humour and and all of that stuff all making together. So I think the more we can focus on just telling the stories, telling our stories in different ways, the more we can move things forward and, and have conversations and, and, and engage people in, in those conversations. Because that's what that's will make progress happen. It's not for yelling at people. I don't think it's a bit talking for people.
0: Well, <laughs> that's a very nice way to end it <laughs> on a conciliatory note, a positive yeah, note please, for these terrible times. Yes, yeah, Robert <laughs> Softly Gill, thank you so much for your time thank and you. being on the Disability
1: and Podcast. Thank you very much.
0: Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.